Well, it's nice to see you all here this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, we're delighted uh, that you're here. If you're worshiping with us on SOCC.TV, we're glad that uh, you've joined us as well. Uh, especially when I realize that you're here an hour earlier than you're really accustomed to being. So, if you nod off during the sermon, I'll cut you some slack. If I nod off during my own sermon, just leave quietly, will you please? Okay. We're in this uh, series, uh, Walk Like Jesus. And today we're going to talk about obeying like Jesus obeyed. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I was a part of the Cub Scouts. And we had this promise that began every time our pack met. And it went something like this. I, Tom, promise to do my best, to do my duty to God and my country, to be square and to obey the laws or the law of the pack. That still sticks with me after all these years. The, the, the scout law went something like this. A scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, brave, thrifty, clean, and reverent. Perhaps you noticed in both of those the word obey and the word obedient appear. Now, I don't think the pledges back then or the pledges even today are so unusual to avoid the word obedient. Um, I don't think they're unique. Obedience has always been an expected part of life. As a matter of fact, success in life is often connected with one's willingness to obey. For instance, uh, when you obey your teacher, it opens the capacity to learn because if you're, if you're disobedient, you miss out on, on so much. Or recuperating from an illness depends on your willingness to obey the doctor's prescribed regimen of medicine and methods of healing. Military success largely depends on a soldier's willingness to obey orders. Success on the job often depends on one's willingness to do what you were hired to do, to be obedient to the purpose and the mission of the company where you work. Success in avoiding traffic violations and tickets depends simply on you obeying the law of the land. Now, all that said, the concept of obedience never sounds fun or exciting, does it? At times, obedience feels daunting, even frightening. It can have a negative or a restrictive feel to it. Often, reluctance accompanies obedience, and there's this feeling of freedom that comes from disobedience, as if obedience is some kind of a hard-driving taskmaster. But is that really an accurate depiction of the role of obedience in our life? Is it really disobedience that brings freedom and, and obedience that is such a taskmaster? Well, I think one will discover that as the time goes on, it's just the opposite. Disobedience is the taskmaster Obedience brings hope and freedom. Uh, Bob Hildebrand, uh, a part of this congregation here, taped this video, and uh, it sort of shows the contrast. Bob's pretty open and honest uh, with, with where the, the, the road goes that leads to disobedience as opposed to obedience and what he's discovered in, in his life's journey about following and loving the Lord. Just, just take a look at this. When I was six years old, uh, my grandfather put me on the end of a bar and had a beer. And then every weekend, I'd have another one, another one, another one. And uh, next thing you know, uh, a lot of stress came in my life. Did a lot of good things, did a lot of bad things. Started drinking, became an alcoholic, got cirrhosis. You people that are on a fence of alcoholic and you want to quit, find God. 
you people that are on the meth and the heroin and everything else in this world, there's only one way, and it's God's way. I had enough of life without him. I denied him many times. He knocked on my door a lot, but uh, I pushed him aside. I waited too long, and I didn't allow him to come in my heart. I've been through hell, but I've been back. God took me to the abyss, but I'm back because I believed in my God. And without him, I am nothing. And I'm dying of cirrhosis. And I want to know when I go where I'm going. Find God. You'll find life and you'll find what we're all looking for. Peace. Out of Bob's experience, he shares the well, the truthfulness of what it means to follow the Lord and to be a part of him. There's no doubt in my mind that he has found and discovered the true path to life and to peace. So if I'm going to walk like Jesus, live and act like Jesus, then I'd better learn obedience from Jesus because there's no finer example of that in Scripture. Here's what we know from a study of his life, that Jesus obeyed perfectly and modeled for us what it means to grow in this virtue of obedience that for us is sometimes, well, just real challenging. So in his own words, this is his claim in Scripture. John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me and he has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Now, it's easy to look at Jesus and conclude, well, yeah, he obeyed. He's the son of God. It was easy for him. You know, when we make those kind of statements, I think we're looking for an excuse to, to absolve us from our own disobedience, not looking at the truth of how he could be so obedient. <clears throat> Here's the thing you need to realize. And we forget this so often. Yes, he was the son of God, but he was also genuinely and thoroughly human. He could not be, he cannot be our savior if he wasn't completely, 100% thoroughly human because he couldn't step in to take our place. So his humanity is essential to his role as our savior. Son of God, yes, but totally human. And regarding his nature as our Savior, the book of Hebrews reminds us that we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, Jesus was perfectly obedient. And as a human being, that's the challenge to us. Now, I, I know we've already blown the perfect part. But, but there's always the days ahead. How can we be more obedient? So what do we know about his obedience from Scripture? You know, if we're, going to, if we're going to use him as a model, we need to understand the model. What does the Bible say about the obedience of Christ? Well, our first insight into the obedience of Jesus comes early on in his life. As a matter of fact, it's the only story that we have from his early life comes from Luke chapter 2. Jesus is 12 years old. His family is on their way with a large contingent of folks from the city of Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, one of the three feasts required attendance in, in Jerusalem. Probably the most important of the three, as a matter of fact. And, and the Bible says that Mary and Joseph went every year to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. They were an obedient family. Jesus grew up in a household that was markedly obedient. 
And so they get down there, have this wonderful celebration of the feast of the Passover. They're on their way home, uh, and, and they camp that night. Mary and Joseph both assume that Jesus is in the contingent, as he has always been in the contingent. So they make camp that night, and, and they don't find him anywhere. And so, you know, you, you, you can understand the stress. You can understand the anxiety. Panic sets in. And so they have to return to Jerusalem. So they've had one day journey out to the camp. Now they have another whole day journey back. And, and then they have another day searching to find Jesus in the mass of people in Jerusalem. There's a total of three days. And they finally find him in the temple, confounding the scholars with his wisdom. You know what it's like as a parent when there's that panning moment. There is this sense of relief. And then there's this sense of frustration that sets in because you're... You're relieved that your child is okay, but you're frustrated that your child was missing. And so in Luke chapter 2, verse 48, this is what we read. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus responds. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And they didn't understand what he was trying to say to them. Boy, at 12 years old, Jesus gives them a glimpse into the authority of his life. He was clear about being obedient to his heavenly father first and foremost. Now, this was not a slight on Jesus' part toward his earthly parents, but it was a reference to the mission for which he had come and to the one who was his single guiding light in his life. May I add this thought this morning? The authority of God trumps any other authority in a Christian's life. The authority of God trumps any other authority in a Christian's life. Let me explain. I believe we're to be model employees wherever we work. You, you cannot claim to be a Christian and have a good standing if you're, if you're a, 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 a slacker at work. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. You claim to be a Christian, then you need to be a model worker. You need to give your best to your employer uh, as an employee because that speaks of your faith. However, if you're required by your company to compromise your integrity, you're asked to lie or you're asked to cheat or you're asked to do something worse so that the company will benefit, your first obligation is to your God. Obedience to him trumps any other authority. Now, God expects us to be good workers. God expects us to be great citizens, to be the best citizens possible. But his authority trumps all. Now, notice the next verses regarding what happened in Jesus' life after that moment. In verse 51, it says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. So early on, we see the obedience of Jesus. Here's another picture of his obedience. On our trip to uh, Israel recently, we went to a couple places on the Jordan River that are suggested locations where John may have baptized Jesus. The first one was a lot more commercialized than the second one, although both of them were sort of commercialized. That, that just happens in Israel with those places thought to be associated with Jesus. But this, this one kind of captured for me what I really thought it was. You can see in the, in the picture here, the banks of the Jordan. There are people that are going down into the water. The water's muddy. There's reeds and bulrushes and all that kind of thing that's surrounding the river. Uh, and, and that's believed to be one of the places where John baptized and probably the place where Jesus was baptized. 
As I, as I watched people being baptized, I tried to visualize Jesus trying to convince John to baptize him. When John suggested that it should be just the opposite, that Jesus should baptize him, this was Jesus' response. Matthew 3.15 says, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. To put it another way, it is the right thing to do. Jesus didn't need to be baptized for any reason other than the fact he said it's the right thing for me to do. I'm setting an example. I want to be obedient to the Father. And yet, it is even deeper in meaning than what we normally see as mere obedience. The words that Matthew chooses here that we translate fulfill and righteousness are best understood not in terms of conformity to some kind of a requirement, but rather they are highlighting his submission to God. This isn't about a requirement of God. This is about submission to the Father. His baptism is an example, yes, of the right thing to do, but it is deeper. When Jesus was baptized, he's saying, Lord, I, Father, I am submitting to your will. I will be your obedient son. You see, when we are baptized... Yes, it is an act of obedience to a biblical command. But it is deeper than that. It is this picture of submission. It is something you don't do to yourself. It is something that somebody does to you. It is as if to say, I am <clears throat> trusting God with my life. I am submitting my life to God. I want to be an obedient child of God. And, and notice when Jesus did this, how the Father responded. In, in Matthew 6, uh, chapter 3, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How do you please God? Obedience. Now, immediately following that incredible moment, Jesus spent the next 40 days in the desert region next to the Jordan. Uh, here's the interesting thing I found about this locality. If you're facing the Jordan, you saw the picture that we just saw. If you turn your back to the Jordan, this is what you see next. It says Jesus went up from his baptism into the wilderness. It's, 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 it's right there. And during this 40 days in the wilderness... Um, he was tempted by Satan. And I, I'm telling you, folks, Satan sees this as his one opportunity, his only opportunity to forever thwart the plan of God from the beginning of time. And so he just pulls out all the stops. He doesn't do that with me. I yield too quickly. Satan says, you want to try this? Yeah, looks kind of good to me. He didn't have to work hard. I suspect he didn't have to work hard with you either. Jesus didn't relent. So he does his hardest. He pulls out all of his tools and his weaponry. What I believe that Jesus endured in his temptation is far greater than anything we will ever endure. And the Bible says he did it yet without sin. Do you know how Jesus battled every temptation Satan threw at him? He quotes scripture. I wish we had time this morning to go through the temptation. We're not going to take time. You can do that on your own. But he, he answered with scripture. And are you ready for this? Satan is also biblically literate. And so in one of the temptations, Satan even quotes scripture to him. Takes it out of context. But he quotes quote scripture to Jesus. And Jesus puts it back in the right context. And answers again with scripture. Now here's the deal. When you don't know scripture. How are you going to go up in battle against 
temptation. If we don't know what God's word says, how are we going to come against Satan when he even takes the word of God out of context and lays it before us? So in his obedience, Jesus faces off against the adversary and, and is victorious totally. I'm going to suggest to you, know your word, know your scripture, be able to go up against him. Because if you think you can go nose to nose with Satan and win, <coughs> you got another thing coming. But if you have God's word, God's support, if you know it, it will help you through it. Here's another picture of the Lord's obedience. I think the true battle for our souls took place in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed, Father, if there is another way, let this cup, this cup of suffering that's about to happen, let, let's find a different way. There's got to be a different plan. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If there is no other way, Father, I will be obedient. And then that passage that we began with at the very outset of this series from Philippians says, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus puts an incredibly positive spin on the quandary of whether to obey. His obedience inspires and informs our obedience. His humanity confirms that we too can be obedient if we're willing. It's not easy. Sometimes it isn't fun, but the end result is awesome. Now, let me tell you, first of all, what obedience isn't. Obedience isn't the same thing as legalism. Legalism is a checklist of rules and regulations that's based on our own abilities. Check, check, check. I've done all this. I haven't done this. Check, check, check. And this is what Jesus condemned in the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They were just going down a checklist. Legalism draws a circle around me. This is the way I see it. And if you want to see it like I do, you can stand in my circle. But what legalism does is it keeps drawing that circle ever tighter, smaller, until I'm the only one left in that circle. Because only I can live up to my expectations. Legalism operates in the vacuum of relationships. Jesus said we, we have a relationship. This isn't about a, a religious checklist. This is about a relationship with God. But legalism lives in the vacuum of a relationship with the Lord. And obedience isn't salvation by works. We're back to the checklist. In other words, I cannot earn or merit our, my salvation by obeying God. In other words, I go down the checklist and check it off and say, hey, I'm pretty good. I've done more good than I've done bad. I think God's going to be pleased with me. I think God's going to be proud that he's got me on his team. I think I'm going to get home to heaven because I'm, well, I'm, I'm a little better than I am worse. Doesn't work that way. Salvation by God's grace and not our goodness is the only way we get home. We've all blown it. We've all sinned. We, we already know that. So the relationship has been severed. So there is, no, there is no salvation by works. That's what obedience isn't. So what does true obedience do? Well, true obedience acknowledges authority. Where there is no, where there is no authority, folks, there is chaos and anarchy. Now, every human being operates on the basis of some kind of an authority. What's yours? It might be social. What's, what's proper in society? What, what's politically correct? I, I need something more than that because that's all over the map. That changes all the time. That's something about fickleness. Uh, government is an authority. And God says we are to respect the government, to be model citizens. But, but government is impersonal. It, it is just broad sweeping guidelines. And sometimes government gets it right and sometimes government doesn't. Sometimes we use our own personal self-derived authority as our authority. 
That scares the daylights out of me. I need something a lot more trustworthy than me. You know, I hear sometimes people say, well, the God I serve is this, 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 and this. And what they've done is they've taken a smattering of things that they like about God, not everything. And sometimes they pick things that aren't like God and put it all together and they create God in their image. I need something that is steadfast, lasting, eternal. Jesus acknowledged the authority of the Father and submitted to it. Jesus said, his words last forever. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his words are eternal. And it's hard to improve on his example. And it's hard to find anything more reliable, fair, wiser, or more lasting than the standards of God. If, again, I'll say it, if, if all of us would just live by the Ten Commandments, if you just re take those ten out of the Old Testament, society would be so much better. You see, there is freedom in yielding to a gracious authority. When I obey the laws of the land, I have nothing to fear from our government. There is a peace that grows out of obedience. So often people conclude that God is some kind of a cosmic killjoy because he gave us all these rules to destroy our fun. What we seldom realize is that God's law is not designed to infringe upon our joy, but to preserve and enhance our joy. When I am honest and faithful in my relationships, when I put God first, when I tell the truth, I eliminate a lot of unnecessary stress. You know what I'm when you, when you do it God's way, the stress just sort of evaporates. You, you've surely read the study um, in the past about playgrounds, where if you take the fences down, the kids huddle toward the center of the playground. When the fences go up around the playground, they use the whole playground area because that boundary, that boundary marks a safe zone. Uh, we parents do this for our kids all the time. There's freedom in boundaries, and we set those boundaries. What you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. What time you go to bed, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do, uh, what you're going to watch. Parents set boundaries, and those boundaries sometimes to a child seem ob obstructive. But the parent knows this is the best. You're, you're creating a sense of joy. There is freedom in boundaries. In an article in Psychology Today, author Tim Elmore reminds us that parents fall into three boundary traps uh, where there are no fences at all. You know, you know those kind of parents? There, there's no boundary. Nothing is off, off the chart. Uh, there is the continuing to impose fences when children become adults. In other words, I, my kids are out on their own, but I keep enforcing my rules on them. You can't do that once they're adults. You, you have a window of opportunity to do it. And the, and the third problem is that you equate your fences with God's fences. Now, sometimes they may be the same, <laughs> but not always. Tim then offers four tools for helping create healthy, well-grounded children, grandchildren. Grandparents have a role in all this. And, and here's the first one, and that is model a lifestyle that we hope our children want to embrace. No words can replace a good example, and we cannot expect our kids to live by standards we don't have. And every parent and grandparent can be a model. Secondly, he says, provide an honest world view. Parents must help their kids construct a framework that enables them to make good decisions. A worldview is a lens that helps them both perceive and understand the world around them so they can make good decisions. Thirdly, teach them to think critically. Not just to follow the crowd because the crowd is going a certain direction, but to think critically, to evaluate the culture around them and to measure activity against truth, logic, and wisdom. 
And the fourth tool, he says, is to instill lasting principles that our kids can live by, that will be principles that will see them through the end of their life. I read that list, and I thought, that's exactly what our Heavenly Father has done for us. He's given us the premier model and example in his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us an honest worldview to help us make quality decisions. The, the means to measure activity against truth. And he's given us godly principles to live by that will be the same no matter how long we live in this world. You see, acknowledging God's authority provides a sense of peace. Jesus said in John chapter 8, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? Set you free. Within the boundaries is freedom. Well, true obedience accepts responsibility. Part of me in living an obedient life is accepting responsibility for my choices and actions. <laughs> I have a tendency, and I suspect all of us do, that when I mess up, to find somebody else to blame or something else to blame. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Satan cannot cause us to sin. He can only entice. Boy, he does a good job of enticing, dangling out there, whatever it is. But, but only we are responsible for when we choose to sin. If I'm always looking for someone else to blame, I'll never be at peace. I've got to come to grips with the fact I'm the guy at fault. You're the person at fault. And when we understand that, we live in the presence of God every day. We learn that his presence provides power to live life to the fullest, peace to guard our minds against the stress and anxiety of daily existence, and accountability that helps keeps, keep us grounded. You see, this is what our faith is all about. You can't, you can't take faith and separate it from obedience. And you can't take obedience and separate it from our faith. They, they go together, lockstep. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, wrote this. He said, the road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. Only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. Here's the last thing. True obedience acts lovingly. We've talked about this before, but, but it bears repeating. Obedience is God's love language. Like Jesus, it should always be our aim to please him first and foremost. Now, we men are not always the best with, with the verbal. Uh, though I try, I sometimes am not best at expressing my, my love and appreciation. But I find great joy in doing things for those that I love. Um, I love doing things for my daughters and sons-in-law and my grandkids. I mean, that, that brings me great joy, and that's my way of expressing my love. And oftentimes when I'll do something, my, my girls will say, Dad, you don't have to do that for us. And my response is, just put me in a nice home when the time comes. <laughs> what, what they need to realize is that, that that is the way I best express my love. It, 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 that's my love language. I, I try the words, and the words sometimes work, but... It's, it's the actions that, that speak louder. And because we men often struggle with the concept of expressing love, especially when it comes to the scriptures and it says we are to love God. Okay, how do I do that? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. I can understand that. 
John 14, 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. I can understand that. So, so suddenly I have this picture now of obedience and love together. Obedience is God's love language. Because of these passages, I know how to measure my love for him. There's no guesswork here. Remember that passage that we read at the very beginning? Jesus said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus understood the love, love language. So is it our goal to always please him? God's given us boundaries for our protection and for our joy, to enhance our lives and to make them the best that they can be, just as any loving parent would do so. 1 John 5, 3 says, this is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. The story is told of a, of a woman married to a man who was harsh and demanding. A, a man who kept a list of expectations for his wife and gave them to her all the time. It went long into the marriage until that list became uh, a despised list. And the love that she had for her husband when they got married vanished quickly. When he died, she felt no grief. She only felt great relief. Some years later down the road, she met another man who treated her with grace and kindness. They fell in love, got married. And after a few years, she was going through some old keepsakes, cleaning out as we sometimes do. And she ran across one of those lists from her first marriage. Surprised that she'd even kept it. She didn't know why it was in her keepsake box. But she was stunned when she read the list because everything on the list she was doing in her marriage. But was now because she was in love with the man who was not demanding. She noticed it was her love language that she was doing these things to express her love because the love makes all the difference in the world. When, when I understand that God spared no expense to, be, to bring me salvation so that you and I could be one with him again, that, that God sent his own son, that God loved us that much, how much of a burden is it then to be obedient to a God like that? If his love language is sacrifice so that I might live, then my words and actions of obedience should be my love language back to him. And when I love God that way, it changes everything. And obedience brings joy. And obedience means that I walk like Jesus. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.